Welcome to Idaho Success Podcast. We'll be focusing on classroom management this year. This is a place for general and special education teachers of all grade levels to hear about topics important to helping you develop effective classroom management practices to improve student performance and maintain appropriate behavior in your classrooms. I'm Kylie Atkinson, Behavior Coordinator with Idaho SESTA, and I provide support in Regions 5 and 6. Today we're going to do a deeper dive into the foundational four. Before listening to this podcast, I highly recommend to go back and listen to the foundational four podcast. In the foundational four podcast, the following four things for classroom management were covered. The first one is establish and teach classroom routines, expectations, and behavioral expectations. Number two is plan for positive interactions and reinforcement of appropriate behavior. Three is develop a process for correction and consequences. And four is set up opportunities for active responding. Today, we'll be taking a deeper dive into the second topic of the foundational four, which is plan for positive interactions and reinforcement of appropriate behavior. The reason I wanted to do a deeper dive into this specific one on the foundational four is we get a lot of questions around this topic and it's around reinforcement specifically. Why is reinforcement so important? Isn't it bribery? Why do I need to do it? They should just like praise. Those are a lot of the questions that we get. So I wanted to take the time today to do a deeper dive into reinforcement and looking at the seven common myths of reinforcement. Five out of seven of these myths that we'll be covering today comes from an article that discusses positive reinforcement and the myths that are surrounding it. The article is by Scott Ann Landrum and it was completed in 2020. It's called An Evidence-Based Logic for the Use of Positive Reinforcement Responses to Typical Criticism. I will be pulling five out of seven myths from this article. The other two myths are myths that we commonly just get asked questions about or see in our field that I'm going to address today. So let's dive in. Myth number one, research does not support the use of positive reinforcement. First, I wanna talk about how there is no research in the world that can absolutely prove causation, right? We live in a world today where science is constantly getting questioned among multiple parts of society. So while science can never prove causation, it can show the level of correlation through research. And we show that in research with what is called an effect size. The closer an effect size is to one, the stronger research shows the effectiveness of what was being said. A study was done by Cameron and Pierce in 1994 and a follow-up in 2009. They analyzed research on positive feedback involving almost 68,000 people using a meta-analysis and found that the average effect size of feedback and positive reinforcement is 0.73. So an effect size of 0.73 means that the average student receiving regular positive feedback sees a positive effect of almost three quarters of a standard deviation. Among contributions from all teaching approaches, the only strategy with a larger effect size is formative assessment, which is at 0.9, which also involves feedback. Formative assessment is something that teachers are taught to use and very much use in their instruction on a consistent basis. It's how we see how students are progressing and we can give feedback. That has an effect size of 0.9. And then to look at positive feedback and reinforcement with an effect size of 0.73, both those things show that research actually does support the use of positive reinforcement and feedback. 
Now, there are some studies out there that have shown reinforcement to not be as effective, but like we should do with all research, let's dig deeper into why and what was going on. If one study is focused too much on tangible reinforcement with high interest tasks and the others focused on verbal acknowledgement and low interest tasks, and you're comparing the two, of course, the studies are going to have different outcomes. The context is as important, and it suggests that not all reinforcement is equal. So Skinner, the famous Skinner in the behavior world, said the effectiveness of reinforcement is dependent upon its nature, delivery, frequency, predictability, the learning history of the student, and the difficulty of the task. If research showed it wasn't effective, we really got to look at the context as to why. Did the reinforcement match the level of what was being asked of the student? And looking into all those other things, was it predictable? What was the learning history? Which are some other myths that we're going to go into later. So myth number one is debunked. Research actually does support the use of positive reinforcement. Myth number two, reinforcement inhibits intrinsic motivation. I get this all the time. Well, if I just give him rewards for things he does and he'll never just want to do it himself. We hear that all the time. That is something that's valid to be worried about, but let's see what the research shows us. First off, let's think about what is intrinsic motivation. The word intrinsic is defined as basic to thing, being an important part of making what it is. So how does one develop intrinsic motivation? It doesn't just form on its own. And that's what research shows. Research shows that intrinsic motivation starts with the child internalizing their actions as something right that they did or something that they shouldn't be doing, even as little as a baby. The more success they have with how they act, that behavior leads to intrinsic motivation developing. For example, if a little toddler is saying his first word and he's saying milk and the parents get all excited and then give him the milk, he's learning that's how he's supposed to be acting. And getting praise along with it makes that child feel successful. The more success they have with how they act, that's how it's going to lead to intrinsic motivation. How do we internalize these actions? According to Cambridge Dictionary, internalizing is defined as the ability to accept or absorb an idea, opinion, belief, etc., so that it becomes part of your character. Research shows the key to internalizing is receiving positive feedback about a behavior that the student or child is doing. Positive feedback is a form of reinforcement. What all of that is saying is in, in order to develop intrinsic motivation and to internalize that, you actually have to have some successes and some external motive reinforcement happening for it to start to internalize that what you did was successful. And that in turn helps to develop intrinsic motivation to keep going. Research actually shows the opposite of this myth. Positive reinforcement and feedback leads to someone internalizing what they are doing as successful and can lead to an increase in their intrinsic motivation. How does this translate to working in schools? School is all about effective instruction, right? That's the whole point of why we as teachers try to make sure we're having effective instruction. But what makes it effective? One of the key parts of effective instruction is giving feedback. Research shows that students who received feedback about their performance is an essential component of students building confidence and high self-esteem, which research shows internalizes as them being successful. That leads to intrinsic motivation to continue that behavior to keep being successful. 
Where this myth has probably started from is when feedback or reinforcement is not contingent upon the success or completing or doing the behavior that is correct for receiving the reinforcement. If praise and reinforcement is hounded out without it being contingent, then the student is not going to connect that what they are doing is them being successful, which then in turn leads to intrinsic motivation. Myth number two, debunked. Reinforcement actually helps with intrinsic motivation. Myth number three, reinforcement is bribery. This is another one that we get a lot. Well, you're just bribing him to do that. That's not fair. He should just want to do this. Let's first discuss what the definition of bribery is. According to Cambridge Dictionary, the word bribe as a verb is defined as to give someone money or something else of value often illegally to persuade that person to do something you want. By this definition, any transaction in which someone holds out for more money is bribery. An example is when your lawn grows too long and the neighborhood boy that used to cut it's like, eh, I'm not going to cut it anymore. I need money for this. So you end up offering money. That's a form of bribery. Reinforcement is different in bribery in that it is a part of instruction. The reinforcement means the student was recognized for that success. That is different than the definition of bribery. Reinforcement could include tokens, privileges, etc., but it is paired with that positive instructional feedback and it's contingent on the behavior being performed. Positive reinforcement with feedback is actually focused on promoting long-term success. There is a contingency that first the student needs to exhibit the correct behavior first, but calling this type of feedback bribery means that all vending machines bribe us with the promise of a preferred item if we put money in. Myth number three, debunked. Reinforcement is not bribery. Myth number four, reinforcement is counterproductive and inhibits positive behavior. Now, this myth does have some substance to it if reinforcement is not used in the correct way. If someone is already successful at a task, then introducing external reinforcers has been shown to inhibit performance. That is when instead of using external reinforcement, positive verbal feedback is shown to be effective if the student already has the skill and can perform it. When using more external tangible forms of reinforcement, it is most effective when a student needs to learn a skill or has extreme deficits. When using tangible forms of reinforcement, it should always be fed with the fading plan to fade out the external reinforcement as their skill grows, or they do become sometimes dependent on those external reinforcers. And we want to make sure that they end up developing some of that intrinsic motivation. Another thing to consider is that our daily performances can be variable. When you say reinforcement is counterproductive to seeing good positive behavior, we got to remember how we're measuring that. If we perform a task at our highest level, then we would expect the next time to not be as successful. Think of it this way. Someone who runs track, if they run their best mile ever, the likelihood of doing that multiple times in a row is just not likely. That phenomenon is called regression to the mean. We as humans have a mean that we kind of regress to and fall to, and we may do really, really well, but the next time we may not. An example of that is when we flip a coin and it lands on head. 10 times in a row, that's super lucky. For that to continue to happen over and over is very unlikely. It might happen again eventually, but not over and over. Think of the gambling world. 
being able to gamble and get three or four things in a row, pictures that match to earn money, it can happen. But the likelihood of it always happening over and over again is not very likely. If we reinforce only the highest outliers, then we would expect the next trial to just kind of be a little bit lower. If we consider the keys to effective reinforcement, there is no evidence that positive reinforcement is counterproductive or inhibits positive behavior at all. Myth number four debunked. Reinforcement is not counterproductive or inhibits positive behavior. It actually helps with positive behavior. Myth number five, in the real world, nobody's going to give you anything for doing what is expected. This one I hear very often. Why should I reinforce the student when the real world won't do that? I don't want the student to be expecting this for the rest of their life. Now, let's talk about that. Actually, every behavior that we do is reinforced in some way or another. That is why there are behaviors that we continue to do because it meets a need. Let's give an example. As adults, we work because we need money and that's reinforced constantly by money. Now, should you just do what you're expected to do in your job because that's what's expected? Yeah, but a good reason why you do that is because of the money that you receive for doing that job. Remember, reinforcement during instruction means letting students know when they are being successful so they can be more successful in the future. It will actually help them be more successful because that's another part of this myth that I get asked all the time. Well, if they just keep expecting all, all this stuff, then they're not going to be successful in the future. Actually, the point of reinforcement is to help them be more successful. Now, to be careful of this happening, it would be making sure that external reinforcements are not too high all the time and happen over and over again. It needs to be something realistic and something that can eventually be faded out and paired with more natural forms of reinforcement. Myth number five is debunked. We just covered five out of seven myths that were pulled from the article I listed earlier. Now we're gonna talk about two more myths that we as behavior coordinators tend to deal with very frequently. Myth number six, relationships are not important in reinforcement. This one will be a quick one because this is just wrong. (laughs) It's false for a lot of reasons. Let's think about this. If you are seen as an aversive person, you will naturally act as a cue to the student to start behaving in a way to avoid you. Think about the people in your life that you associated with something that you didn't want to do or something that you didn't like. You naturally did things to avoid them or didn't want to have to be around them. That's just natural human tendency. If you're seen as a positive person, then you will act as a cue that reinforcement and positive feedback is going to happen. If you're paired with something positive and reinforcing, then they're going to want to perform better for you. That's just how it works. Without a lot of explanation, myth number six is just debunked. Relationships are actually very important in reinforcement and can help that student be successful in the long term. The last myth, myth number seven. Reinforcement doesn't work for everyone. Let's talk about what the definition of reinforcement is. The definition of reinforcement is anything added or removed from the environment after behavior occurs that increases the probability of behavior occurring again, including specific tangible rewards, events, and situations. When we hear that definition, that key part is anything that strengthens or increases a behavior. This can be widely different for multiple students. Reinforcement actually does work for everyone. A lot of the time what people mean 
is they can't find what is reinforcing to the student. First thing we want to talk about, what works for one student will not work for another student. We're all individuals. The first thing to think about is the function of their behavior or what need is being met by the behavior. If a student is doing behavior for escape, then the thing that I'm going to work on for reinforcing the appropriate behavior is probably going to look different than if they're attention seeking or if they're doing behavior for tangible purposes or if they're doing behavior for sensory. Reinforcement for all those things looks very, very different. Here's an example. I had a student that liked to lope out of buildings, which means run out of buildings. We thought it was a very much escape-based behavior. So we were teaching that student to ask for a break to give him the reinforcement of having a little bit of escape and then coming back to the task, which we made the task more fun and changed some things so that he didn't want to avoid it in the first place, but it wasn't working. After trying to figure out, we realized we got the function wrong. This student actually liked to run out of the room because he was trying to get to certain parts in the building or outside where he could look at certain things. He really liked a light on the porch of someone outside of the school, or he liked the fish in the tank and he liked to look at them. He actually had a sensory function. When we looked at reinforcement for him, it changed a lot. He started to work for being able to look at those things for longer periods of time. Another thing to consider is what is reinforcing to one student won't be reinforcing to another. I really like chocolate, but that doesn't mean that every other kid likes chocolate. I have a student who really, really liked broccoli. I know that sounds really funny, but broccoli was his favorite treat to earn. So we kept bags of steam, frozen steamed broccoli that I could put in the microwave and that worked for him. But if someone tried to use broccoli for me, I don't think I would want to do anything to get that broccoli. You have to realize we all have different tastes and likes and things that we like to do. And it's going to be different for every single student. The second thing to consider when we're talking about how reinforcers do not work the same for everyone is to talk about praise. I get told a lot that praise should be enough. This kid should just like verbal reinforcement. This kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier. Some students don't like to be talked to or praise is not going to be enough for them because their target behavior that they're doing of throwing chairs is actually getting them what they want. Whereas you just saying you're doing a good job is not meeting that need. You have to remember it has to be reinforcing for the student. There's also other students that being told they're doing a good job is actually really aversive to them and they don't like it. Some kids actually thrive on it and love being told they do a good job. Remember, reinforcement is something that strengthens or increases the behavior, and it's going to be different for every student. Reinforcers, or what maintains behavior, is different for some people depending on their learning history. Let's talk about culture. Culture can play a huge factor into this. There might be pieces of someone's culture that actually lends to a learning history of something being really positive or something not being really positive. Lastly, reinforcement can look very different for people with trauma. Food and basic needs can be seen as not rewarding due to how they were used. If they have a trauma background with food and basic needs and things that they couldn't get, or it was used to manipulate a student in an abusive way, those things are not going to be reinforcing to that student. Like I said before, reinforcement may have been used coercively with abuse, and that's gonna be very difficult for that student I worked with a group of foster kids that came in from a very sad and hard traumatic background. 
It was very difficult to find things that were reinforcing to them due to the way that they'd been used in their past. Some ideas when we're working with students like this is you got to look for new and novel things and you have to pair it with good positive things and the behavior you want to see. And you got to do it quickly and contingently so you can get a new pattern set for them. The reinforcement items may be things that you just typically would not even think of. I had a student that actually really loved pen caps and he wanted to earn and collect pen caps. That worked for him. And he was a student with a huge trauma background that no food worked, all your typical things of watching TV or reading books. None of that stuff works for him, but he liked pen caps. If you cannot think of reinforcement and you've tried everything for some of these students, one of the best things to do is do a free range type of reinforcement assessment where you just kind of watch what they gravitate towards in a classroom or taking them to somewhere with lots of things or novel things so you can see what they gravitate towards and that might show you what they're going to like. Myth number seven is debunk. Reinforcement works different for everyone, not the same. In closing, today we took a deeper dive into seven myths of reinforcement. Hopefully you have come away with more understanding on the importance and effectiveness of reinforcement. If you guys have any questions, please reach out to us. You can request assistance from your behavior coordinator by reaching out to us independently through our email, or you can submit a ticket through our help desk. That's at idahosesta.org home, and you just click on the request assistance page. I'd like to thank Idaho Training Clearinghouse for helping to bring this podcast to you. The ITC has been making special education training opportunities and resources available to school professionals and parents for many years. Whether you're looking for behavioral strategies, how to write high quality support for professionals, assistive technology, collaborating with general education teachers, and so much more, the ITC is a great first stop. Topics are covered with modules, webinars, and downloadable resources right from your desktop or handheld device. Visit idahotc.com and begin your search with our behavior topics page to see what's already there. I want to thank you guys for joining me today. I was really excited to bring all this content to you, and I want to give a special thank you for giving me your time and your ears. You can find this in future podcasts as well as other great resources on topics relevant to classroom management on the Out of the Box series webpage located on the Idaho Training Clearinghouse at idahotc.com slash behavior. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.